0: everybody this is Lily and this is Sam and tonight we are going to be talking to Dr. Lee so we're just gonna start off with some quick introductions of ourselves so my name is Lily I'm a first-year grad student in um, clinical psychology at Idaho State University I did my undergrad at the University of North Carolina Wilmington and I conducted a lot of research in behavioral pharmacology, and so the lab I was in really looked at drug effects on impulsive behaviors and how drugs affect behaviors. Um, My research interests have switched a tad bit, but not too much. I'm just interested in examining factors that influence decision-making in individuals from marginalized populations. Hi, my name is Sam. Um, I'm also a first-year clinical psychology student at Idaho State University and I attended Idaho State University for my undergraduate. Um, My research interests fall within autism research, um, more specifically um, ABA therapy, um, as well as parent interaction with uh, therapy with uh, autism spectrum disorder. Great, so um, thank you so much, Dr. Lee, for doing this interview with us today. Do you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself to get us started?
1: Absolutely. So I did, I grew up in Pennsylvania, but I did my undergraduate work at Northwestern University near Chicago. And then I went into graduate school at the University of Kentucky at their clinical psychology program. So at the University of Kentucky, I studied attention deficit hyperactivity disorder in kids, and also how that affected their peer problems. So I worked with Dr. Rich Milich and Dr. Michelle Martell. And things that I looked at was how emotion regulation affected uh, kids' peer relationships and how that could really negatively affect their peer relationships and mediated that relationship between ADHD symptoms and peer outcomes. And then for my dissertation, I looked at uh, ADHD comorbidities and how ADHD, which is common with, uh, commonly comorbid with other disorders, how being comorbid would affect the different characteristics and different outcomes commonly associated with ADHD. Awesome. That's really
0: great to hear. So I'm just gonna start talking about some of your research that I'm interested in. So like I mentioned, I really like to look at impulsive behaviors. So really within like the delay discounting paradigm. I did work with it in undergrad, and I'm wanting to continue doing some work with it. Um, I actually emailed you to set up this interview because I was super interested in your 2017 article, The Longitudinal and Reciprocal Relations Between Delay Discounting and Crime and so um a big theme within yours was looking at you know the relationships between delayed discounting and crime and whether one affected the other and vice versa and a lot of what we looked at in the behavioral pharmacology lab i was in was how drugs influence behavior and within that impulsivity and we constantly found ourselves kind of wondering you know is one predisposed to do drugs because they're more impulsive or do they take the drugs and then become more impulsive? And so that's one reason why I was really interested in that paper and so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about it.
1: Yeah, so that study came from a larger study of just in general looking at uh, different risk factors for uh, drug and substance use outcomes in a college sample. So we actually followed two different cohorts over three years at the University of Kentucky. So catching them in like a Uh, one of their first year classes and then having follow-up and seeing, looking for these transdiagnostic properties, kind of similar to DSM-5 to see is what, how would that affect uh, their risky behaviors later? And so just circling in on this specific paper was looking across these three years, knowing that we have longitudinal data, that's kind of a chicken versus the egg question, as you Mm -hmm. put it, Lily. is, is it that we have this impulsivity as, shown through a delayed discounting task, a behavioral task of impulsivity. So saying, would you like a smaller amount of money now or would you like a larger amount later? Will that be related to your crime criminal behavior one year or two years later? So we categorize that as violent crime, drug crime, and property crime, as well as a total crime. And what we found was that delayed discounting, so choosing to take the smaller reward more immediately was positively related to increased property crime one year later and two years later, but violent crime predicted an increase in delay discounting. So an increase in choosing this uh, smaller but more immediate reward one year later. So kind of showing that in both ways, they're kind of feeding into each other and kind of this reinforcement cycle or learning cycle.
0: Yeah, definitely. I was actually, when I read through your paper, Um, I saw that you had quite a large sample. And so I was kind of curious, you know, did you just, were you able to collect that amount and you just kind of were excited and went with it? Or given that it was a longitudinal study, you were trying to account for possibly attrition of, um, you know, participants perhaps maybe dropping out since it's over, I think you said three years was how long they were?
1: Mm -hmm. As I think is uh, using undergraduate samples, we're uh, at the University of Kentucky is we're able to do uh, screeners in their introductory psychology class. So it's a large general class that many people take. And luckily, we had a lot of large grants that we could look into these things and get these participants and then follow up with them with increased kind of incentives for coming back year to year. So it's nice to be able to have such a large sample and be powered enough to look at these uh, kind of questions.
0: Yeah. Um, Is there anything else within your research that you might want to mention? Maybe something like your most favorite research that you did or something that you like to talk about that you'd like to share with us?
1: I think in general, my research has been looking at externalizing behaviors, uh, particularly ADHD and behavior problems. And so I think that uh, what was kind of most exciting for me was my dissertation, since that's an idea that I can come up with myself and in learn a bunch of new statistical methods and then implement. So using more person-centered analyses, so network analysis and latent profile analysis, to use two different statistical methods to see what is comorbidity bringing to the table. Because in a clinical reality is you most often see comorbidity versus any sample alone. So it's, it's really difficult to try to bridge that gap between research where we try to be super clean and not have any confounding variables and then clinical work where, unfortunately, we can't separate out everything really cleanly. And so when I was looking at ADHD symptoms and their comorbidities, oppositional defined disorder, anxiety and depression, as it seemed that really it was the comorbidity between ADHD and oppositional defined disorder that just seemed to amplify the negative problems or difficulties with kids with ADHD while anxiety and depression had less of an influence.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I was wondering,
1: are you doing any research right now? So right now I'm in a uh, clinical position. So I work at Cincinnati Children's Hospital as a staff psychologist. And uh, so I do totally clinical work now, but we're having a new program working in the emergency department doing crisis evaluations uh, and also doing these short-term bridge therapy appointments of having, can we do kind of like an immediate urgent care and help connect you to other services or also divert you from the emergency department and schedule a same day appointment as well. So in terms of kind of research in a clinical position is that also is on the ground looking at program development and kind of quality improvement.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, So I was also wondering, it seems like a lot of your research interests, like you've said, fall with ADHD and comorbidity. Um, how, How did your experiences prior to you falling into that shape that interest?
1: So my dad is actually a child psychiatrist. So when uh, I was in high school, I volunteered at what would be seen as a partial hospitalization program. So basically a day program for kids with uh, extreme behavior problems. So ADHD and oppositional defiant disorder. So these are kids who are placed in their own specialized school due to their behavior problems. And then during the summer, they kind of continued coming to receive treatment so they wouldn't have any losses in their treatment gains. And I really enjoyed working with them, is I worked with them for three years. So in some ways I could see how they changed year to year or who who got better and got mainstream back to school and who went a different path. Mm -hmm. And also just seeing kind of the struggles that they had and how they are still children and they are still relatable, even though there's many challenging behaviors. And that's what really inspired me to wanna see how I could learn more to help them. That's awesome, um, did that continue
0: into your clinical work? like is do you have a spec- something specific that you um, focus on within your clinical work, or are you just very broadly like a child psychologist
1: I think that that started out as that was an intensive treatment setting for sure compared to like weekly outpatient, and that is the type of setting that I really enjoy doing, so i've done like the summer treatment program, which is also a day program for kids with severe ADHD symptoms. And then in my job now of doing crisis evaluations in the emergency department and these uh, bridge follow-up therapy appointments is also still working kind of in an intensive treatment setting.
0: Awesome. And so I'm kind of leading into our last question and it's, it's a fun one. Um, so just imagine a perfect world, um, you have unlimited funding, resources, participants, you know, the, the world's your oyster in this research setting. Um, what kind of research
1: would you want to do? Because I think that I am interested in marginalized populations and also kind of these more clinically oriented questions of how to tie between research and clinical work So, and besides extending kind of my work on comorbidity and seeing again, how do these empirically based treatments that we do with kind of very siloed populations or we rule out a bunch of people, how do they work for those that are comorbid or if we don't have an intact family or if we do only attend like 70, at best 70% of the sessions, what does the efficacy look like? And then also how do we move beyond a lot of our treatment has been focused on a white population or what they say is like, the acronym of WEIRD, uh, and but how does that apply to other racial and ethnic minorities? And can we just do kind of a one-to-one uh, translation from one ethnic group to another, or do there need to be adaptations?
0: Yeah, definitely. I've really noticed within our classes, we're really stressing the multicultural competency these days but when you look at the research, it's still primarily with white individuals. And so mm-hmm. it kind of, it even makes it difficult to learn and then be like, all right, you're teaching me to be multicultural, but all the research that I'm looking at are with these white populations. So I, I'm really looking forward to more research regarding um, clinical practice with different groups that aren't really represented within our field right now.
1: And I think another uh, kind of topic to think about is just because patients may identify as a racial and ethnic minority doesn't necessarily mean they need a cultural adaptation either is that that's not kind of like an automatic that oh we'll need to change a bunch of things is there's still family just like any other family that brings a lot of their own contextual factors and that may require changes but it may not.
0: Yep Um, cultural identification is definitely on a spectrum it's not one way or another so Definitely agree with you there. Um, so that's about all we have today. I wanna say thank you so much for meeting with us. I know that it's a little bit later over there and we really appreciate that you took the time out of your day to meet with us and talk to us. Yeah, thank you so much.
1: It is great to meet you both.